So the title of the message this morning is um, a bit un, slightly unusual. It's called Recovering the Maranatha Plumb Line. What am I talking about? So I was uh, worked construction, I mean, I guess technically it's construction. I was a painter for 20 years. Um, but, you know, sort of in home building pretty much from the time that I graduated high school. And for those that are masons or whatnot, you know, a plumb line is, I mean, they've been using it since time memorial. As you're trying to build a straight wall or a chimney or whatever it might be, simple string and the power of gravity, you've got a little metal weight at the bottom, and that's always going to determine for you whether or not you're staying level, staying straight. And so you're constantly measuring your work against the plumb line. And so the reason I use this term, recovering the Maranatha plumb line, is because it's essential. It's not just essential, but it's actually the plan of the Lord. It's the plan of God that the church, that we, as his people, recover this, this uh, measurement of this issue of the Maranatha cry to determine whether or not our lives individually but also corporately is in alignment with his desire for us. So in order to understand that, we have to understand what does Maranatha even really mean. So I'll just say this. In the early church, there were a handful of different declarations of statements that are very popular in church, so hallelujah, right? And that precedes the church. I mean, you've got that throughout the Old Testament. We all know what hallelujah means, praise the Lord. And today, the, the modern Western church, we've got the hallelujah down. We're really good at the hallelujah. We're really good at the praise the Lord. We can turn on any radio station and listen to some good hallelujah music, contemporary Christian worship anytime. Another declaration was Hosanna. You see them shouting that as Jesus is entering Jerusalem during the triumphal entry just before his crucifixion, which means um, save us. It was sort of a cry for the son of David to reestablish, to throw off the Roman oppressors and to establish the kingdom of David, to restore the throne of David. Um, we don't really hear Hosanna too often these days. But another big one was Maranatha. And I would argue that much of the church today, we've largely lost the Maranatha cry. We don't really know quite what it is, what it means. And many, even leaders in the church, they actively from the pulpit say, yeah, technically on our statement of faith, we believe this concept of Maranatha, but we don't really talk about it because it's weird. And if you talk about it too much, you get off into weird stuff and this sort of thing. So what does Maranatha mean? So it's actually an Aramaic term. It's not Hebrew. Hallelujah is Hebrew. Aramaic is sort of a, a dialect, a mixture, sort of a Babylonian mixture of Hebrew. That's sort of an oversimplification. But they spoke Aramaic after they came back from Babylon. And in the first century... Jesus and the apostles would have spoken, among other things, Aramaic. It probably would have been more of like the street language among the Jews. And so <clears throat> the word Maranatha, it's an Aramaic combination of two words. One is Mar, which means Lord, and Atta, 
which means come. So Maranatha, it depends on sort of which syllable you emphasize. Scholars debate exactly what it means, but they've pretty much concluded that it, it's, first of all, sort of a creedal declaration. So essentially it means two things. The Lord has come. It's a declaration. The Lord has come. The prophesied son of David, the one that all of the prophets were talking about, awaiting and yearning for, he has come, and it's Jesus. The Lord has come. But that's not the end of the story. The Lord is coming. The Lord has come. The Lord is coming. And it's a great summation of what our faith is all about. It's a great summation, quite frankly, of the gospel of the good news that we have, this message that we're extending and holding out to the world. Jesus has come. He made atonement. He's provided forgiveness for sins. But he's also coming back to judge the living and the dead. And he's coming back to restore Eden. He's coming back to undo the effects of the curse. He's coming back to restore the kingdom of David. Yea, an amplified kingdom of David. Yea, an amplified Eden. Sort of combine these two pictures, the restored Eden and the restored kingdom of David, sort of mix them together and you're beginning to get a feel for what the prophets describe, what the Bible holds out as our hope in terms of what we're looking forward to. But it's more than just a creedal statement, the Lord has come, the Lord is coming. It's also a cry, it's a groan, come Lord Jesus, it's a prayer. And we sang that this morning and so... I was trying to pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to talk about this morning? Five minutes before I got here and uh, talked to Pastor Chad and he said, well, we've got Come Lord is one of the songs. It's what I was talking about this morning with the staff. And I said, that's what I thought I was supposed to talk about, but thank you for the confirmation. <laughs> so it's all of these things. Before the return of Jesus, the overwhelming cry of all of us individually and corporately will be, come Lord Jesus. And it's a positive cry because we desire to be with him, we desire to see him, we desire to more than just sing about him, but to actually see him with our eyeballs, to smell the fragrances of Zion, to hear the choirs and the, you know, the the, the sights and the sounds and the smells and the tastes of the age to come during the resurrection. We long for that in a positive sense, but there's also a groan in this come Lord Jesus, which is negative, which is, God, come. I can't deal with this insanity anymore. You know, it's this groan, this age, it's tiring, it's exhausting, it's... You look out, you open your laptop nowadays, it used to be wake up and open the newspaper, now you open your phone or whatever and you just go, I can't do this again. You know, every day it's just more bad news, more insanity, that's the only word to describe it. And there's, there's, a, there's a, that groan like, you know, the righteous, they were like, they had to live near Sodom and Gomorrah and they're just like, th there was this this gross feeling in their stomach. God, why do I have to look upon so much iniquity? I yearn for Zion. So there's sort of the negative rejection of this age and a yearning for the age to come. Now, in order to understand just about any biblical story, you have to start in Genesis 3.15. This is what 
is referred to often as the first gospel. So as soon as the fall had taken place, as soon as sin and corruption and death have entered the human experience and paradise that they experienced is gone, the Lord interjects and he makes this declaration and he says to the serpent, he says, I'm going to put enmity, there's going to be conflict, history from here forward will be defined by conflict between, he says, you and the woman. So between the serpent, that's Satan, and the woman, and, the, and Eve represents the righteous line. And then he says, between your descendants and her descendants, between your seed line and her seed line. And so the Lord defines, history will be defined by conflict between the righteous and the unrighteous. Satan did not literally have children. Eve did. And then out of each of these seed lines comes an ultimate seed, so to speak. So, of course, one is Jesus, and the other is the Antichrist, is sort of Satan's sock puppet at the end of the age. And then the Lord says this, and he just enters, like, we don't know who he's talking about yet. The Lord just is making this declaration, and he says there's going to be this conflict, and then he zeroes in on this singular masculine pronoun. He says, he... Who is the he? We don't know. Whoever he is, he is going to crush your head, devil. And that's good news. That's the gospel right there. The day is coming when Satan is getting his skull crushed under the foot of Jesus. Now you go, well, that already happened at the cross. The cross guaranteed it. The cross sealed it. It is as good as done, but it's not actually done yet. Look out at the world. Satan is still roaming about like a roaring lion, Having, uh, uh, having a heyday. Is that, what does heyday mean? <laughs> I don't know. You get, if anybody knows, Southern Illinois should know. I don't know. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's heyday. <laughs> Satan's having a heyday. But the day is coming when the heyday is coming to an end. Now, and then it says, and you will strike his heel. So, you're, you know, it, it's a sort of, very faint foreshadow of the cross. You're going to nip at his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And it uses that picture. So from this day forward, um, now think about this. I, uh, about, I don't know, a couple months ago, I, I'm an idiot. And um, my son, well, so I did, I won't do the whole backstory. I was on this bouncy house thing, and I did a backflip. And I was very proud of myself. And my 11-year-old son was like, you're the only dad I know that can do a backflip. And I was like, that's right. And so then, um, so, so then he said, well, I bet you can't do it on, on the ground. And I was like, heck, I can't. And uh, I just turned 50. And I don't know what I was thinking. So I get out the little, the little stupid like gymnastics mat that's about this. And I, I'm fully confident I'm going to do it. You know, because I used to 30 years ago. And so I jump in the air. And, and my son films it all in slow motion. And I jump in the air and landed on my head. Like, just fully, just, just, you know. And the whole right side of my body went numb. And I'm laying there. And instantly, and I don't know if you guys are like me, but I've had thousands of these throughout my life. And I just went, idiot, 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 stupid, 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 moron, moron, moron. What were you thinking? What? You just, you know. Think of Adam and Eve. Think of Adam and Eve. I mean, seriously, they lived in paradise. Like, they had everything. 
And God goes, there's just one rule. Don't eat from this one. And they ate. Next thing you know, they ruined everything. And they lived a long time. A long time after that. And for hundreds of years, if Adam was anything like me, for the rest of his life, he's going, moron, moron, idiot, idiot. You ruined everything. But this message of hope is declared from the very beginning. The Lord said, the day is coming. Not only when the deceiver is getting He's going to get payback. Not only is he going to get destroyed, but the inference is that Eden is going to be restored. The effects of the curse that the deceiver brought will be undone. And so from this day forward, the righteous, so you've got the unrighteous line, the followers of Satan. Of course, the first one is Cain. And then you've got the righteous. The righteous have always been those that have that have been groaning and crying out, Maranatha, when is he going to come? When is he going to come? When is Eden going to be restored? Come, Lord, like, let's get this show on the road. Like, when are we going to end this insanity? And you can actually see this. You go, well, Joel, how do you know that all the righteous were yearning for this? Look at this. Just two chapters later in Genesis 15, it says Lamech. Lamech was the father of Noah. He was 182 years old when he fathered a son. And I can't even do a backflip at 50. And uh, he's 182. And, uh, and he named him Noah. And of course, they always named their children with prophetic intent. And he said, this one, this one is going to bring us relief from all of the agonizing labor of our hands caused by what? The, the ground that the Lord has cursed. So, this one is going to, you know, they were hoping every time a boy was born, is this the one? Is this the one? Could this be the one? Every time a boy was born. Now, of course, Noah was not the one. Noah did not bring us relief from the effects of the curse. He didn't undo the curse. We still have to bring forth food from the earth by the sweat of our brow and by our labor and on and on and on. And the effects of the curse, death and decay, drug addiction, premature overdose, sickness, illness, corrupt politicians, you know, I mean, like, you name it, all of the things of this age that are part of the curse, Noah didn't bring us relief, but you can see the righteous were waiting. Is this the one? Could this be, is this going to be it? And there's this Maranatha, there's this groan. Now, it wasn't come Lord Jesus. They hadn't articulated it that fully, but that groan was there. A groan to return to Eden, to get things back to the way they were originally designed and created to be. And that is, and it always has been, the cry of the righteous. And it should define the righteous. But today, as I said, we have many, even from the pulpit, that say, yes, we believe that he's coming back. We believe he's going to restore all things. But we don't talk about it, because that stuff's weird. And I go, yeah, it can get weird. The end times can be weird. Um, sometimes discussions about the end times are like this. So Jesus uses the analogy. He says that all of the events that precede his coming, they're the birth pains. But the main issue is the birth. And it's a great analogy because, like, you know, I've got five kids, uh, just like Chad and Don, five kids. And I remember, like, you know, the first one, um, we did Lamaze class. Did you do Lamaze class? No. 
you know, or whatever, like you go to the weird new age lady and she teaches you how to breathe and all this kind of stuff and you sit in a room with big red balls and I don't know, it's weird, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like going to like a children's thing or something, but, um, but you know, you're preparing for the birth pains and to be a good support and this type of thing. But so like, I would come home from work, I'm joking, I didn't really do this, and I'd be like, honey, I'm so excited only two more months until the birth pains. She would be like, what in the world is wrong with you? It's not about the birth pains. We're not excited about the birth pains. We're excited about the birth. Now, the birth pains are the unfortunate things that precede the birth, but the main focus is the birth. And then you have these conferences, quite frankly, end-time Bible prophecy conferences, where all these Christians get together, and they're like, hey, guys, let's talk all weekend about the birth pains. And I'm like, we need to understand the birth pains, the Antichrist, the Great Tribulation, the Mark of the Beast. We need to understand those things, but that's not the main point. The main point is Jesus is coming back. He's the desire of all nations, and he's going to reestablish the kingdom of God on the earth. And the knowledge of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what it's all about. He wants us to understand the birth pains, but sometimes you can emphasize something wrong. So I get it. I get why some people react against the subject of the end times, but it's not about the Antichrist and the tribulation and the mark of the beast. And nowadays you go to these conferences and it's like, is this even a Bible conference or is it a UFO conference? What are we talking about here? Like it just gets crazy. So I get that. But when you throw it all away, you throw the baby out with the bathwater. And this is the return of Jesus is the central, primary, foundational, focal point of hope of everything that we believe. I love being a Christian, don't get me wrong. But if this is all there is, you know, I mean, like, so I was talking about, I was in, I'll, I'll tell this story, it's slightly inappropriate, but it's funny. Um, <laughs> I was in uh, Scotland, and I was teaching on these things, and I was saying, like, some people in the church, like half the church, teach that we are fully in the kingdom now. This is it. You know, we're in the millennium. We're in the kingdom of God, as opposed to he's coming back to fully establish the kingdom of God. And, and so they would say, well, the kingdom of God is it's spiritual. It's mystical. It's not literal. You know, there is no, he's not going to restore the throne of David and this sort of thing. And I laid that all out. And this little Scottish woman came up to me, and I, I can't do a Scottish accent, but this sweet little white-haired woman, you know, with blue eyes, she walks up and she's like, oh, Joel, you're so right, because if the kingdom is fully now, then the kingdom really sucks. <laughs> and I was like, she gets it, she gets it. Like, if this is all there is, we have so much more to look forward to. <laughs> Surprise me. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They'll gain new strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. We read passages like this and we read the word wait, and we think, okay, if I'm just patient for the next few weeks, 
The Lord's going to renew my strength. And that's a true principle. If I'm just patient and I wait on the Lord for the next month or so, he's going to renew me and then I'll run on for a little bit and then I'll get tired again and then I'll wait on him. And that's true. But what this is talking about, the word there, wait, in the Hebrew, it's not just wait. It intones hope. Those who hope in the Lord. Those who eagerly expect the Lord. Those that long for the Lord. Those that are crying out, that are groaning. He goes, if you, like the righteous down through history, if your life is defined by this waiting, this future-oriented hope, yes, it's wonderful that we have the Holy Spirit now. We are seated in heavenly places there are principles that we can apply, as the message said. Kingdom culture is to be lived and expressed now, but it's never fully really here now. We're, our ultimate hope is future-oriented. And he says, for those who live a life, an entire lifetime of waiting and hoping and longing, he says, you're not going to be disappointed. You will be renewed. and like So when it talks about gain new strength, they'll be renewed, they'll mount up. That's talking about the resurrection in the ultimate sense. The day is coming when we will rise up like eagles. You know, it's not just I'll have a little more energy for another few weeks. That's good, but that's not the ultimate meaning. So here is the definition of the word kava, to wait for to eagerly await, to expect, to hope, to hopefully await, to look for, to long for, to wait patiently for. Oh, I've got some typos in there. That's okay. So here are a couple different translations of the same verse. The CSB says those who trust in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, NIV, the NASB, those who wait for the Lord. It's all of these things. The one English word, wait, doesn't quite convey what's being said there. Psalm 25, verse 3, indeed, none of you, if you invest, why do we forsake the temporal pleasures of this life? Why do we die to ourselves? Because we have a greater hope. It says, everyone who puts their hope, everyone who waits, everyone who embraces the Maranatha cry, we will not be ashamed. The day is not going to come when we say, well, you know, I quit. Whatever, all I, I forsook so many of the pleasures of this life, and it was all for nothing because everything the Bible promised, no, that day will not come. We will not be ashamed. We will mount up on wings like eagles. Psalm 37, verse 9, evildoers, they will be cut off. At the day of judgment, evildoers will be cut off. They will face the wrath of God, but for those of us who wait for the Lord, we will inherit the earth. We will inherit the land, the renewed, restored creation. God's promises are true. He is faithful. Look, guys, his track record of faithfulness up until this point, it's pretty darn good. It's pretty darn good. He's not going to you know, be faithful up until 95% and then go, whoops, now he got to your life and he's not faithful anymore. No, he is always faithful. We will not be ashamed. Psalm 147, 11, the Lord favors those who fear him. Who wants to have the favor of the Lord on their life? Who does he favor? Those who fear him, and he equates those who fear him as those who wait for. We are waiting for his loving kindness. We're yearning for, we're crying out for him to come. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. Hebrews 9, 28 says, Christ, having offered once to bear the sin, he came once, Christ has come, he came once and he made atonement. 
He has guaranteed our inheritance. He's provided for it if we say yes to him and repent of our sins. But he will also appear a second time. This verse summarizes the Maranatha cry. He has come once with reference to sin. He will appear a second time to save us from this insane system, this insane age. Without reference to sin, he's coming for who? For those who eagerly are awaiting him. To those that are crying out, Maranatha. And the Bible's clear, the entire church, before this thing is said and done, will be crying out. The spirit and the bride will be crying out, come Lord Jesus. And he's coming back to a church that is crying out for his return. Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, to be clear, that it's not the best translation. Our citizenship is heavenly. Heaven is a euphemism for God. It's saying that our authority is in heaven. But it's not our goal. The goal of the Christian life is not just, well, someday you die and you go up. You know, yes, if we were to die today, our spirits would be with him, but even the spirits that are with him presently are waiting and saying, how long, O Lord? They're awaiting the day of the Lord, the resurrection of the dead, when Jesus returns and our souls are united with our immortal, glorified, eternal bodies. We get bodies. You go, that's kind of a weird concept. No, it's not. After we die, after the resurrection, we get to eat stuff. <laughs> Why is that good news? Because we like to eat stuff. Because God made us and designed us to eat stuff. He made flavors and spices and foods and animals. <laughs> Sorry, vegetarians. I always like to say that. If God didn't intend animals to, to be eaten, he wouldn't have made them out of meat. Um, <laughs> But we will have bodies, we'll smell fragrances and all of these things. That's the way it was made in the beginning and that's the way it will be. We await the resurrection. Our citizenship is heavenly and it's from there that we are awaiting our Savior. We eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.13, Peter urged all of us, how should we live? We should fix our hope our longing, the meditations of our hearts. When life is hard, we say, yes, it's hard now, but the day is coming. We fix our hope completely, it says. That's pretty emphatic on the grace that is to be brought to us when? At the apocalypse, at the revelation, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The grace that we have now is wonderful, but the ultimate grace that we will receive is at the day of the Lord, when he returns. Fix our hope ultimately and completely on that day. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 68, it's not just in the New Testament. It's throughout history. Psalm 68, verse 1, it starts out. Just a psalm. We can skip over verses like this and not realize what it's saying. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those who hate him flee from before him. I love this verse, by the way. Um, so I was raised like nominally Catholic. How many people were raised Catholic? Just curiously. Quite a few. Um, I'm not a Catholic basher. But I've always kind of found the Catholic liturgy like, I don't know, just forgive me, but kind of like a little effeminate. Um, In the unity... <laughs> Of the Holy Spirit forever and ever. 
Like, that was my young childhood. But I, I don't really like that, but I love the Eastern Orthodox. These big, black-bearded, deep-throated Russian guys smoke wafting off, and they're like, let God arise. <laughs> Never heard them? I love the, like, Orthodox chant, and they love Psalm 68. As wax melts before the fire, so let them perish. <laughs> <coughs> When it says, let God arise, it's actually, what, it's a prayer, and it's basically saying this, God, get up off of your throne and come down and fix this mess. Put an end to these mockers, put an end to these devil worshipers, you know, I mean, it's, it's saying like, we can't take, let God arise, get up and come down. And that is, this is the Maranatha cry of the Old Testament, let God arise! And it's not just, you know, let him stand up and dictate some things from it. Let him come down and crush his enemies. Not just the serpent, but the serpent's followers as well. This is one of my favorites. Hebrews 6, verse 19. This hope that we have, it is an anchor of the soul, a hope sure and steadfast. When life is chaotic, when your circumstances of your life, whatever that might be, finances, health, family, crazy kids, <laughs> politics, you know, you name it. When life is crazy, we have an anchor for our souls, unmoving, unbending, unshakable. Our lives can fall apart, our health can fall apart, our marriage, like, you, it doesn't matter. That hope of his return and the, the renewal of all things, it's unchanging, unchanging. There's a, I love, I don't know, it's stupid, I, I like bluegrass. How many people here know the band Trampled by Turtles? Is anybody? Trampled by Turtles? You know the song, it says, um, but there's an anchor on the beach, so let the wind blow hard. Anyway, I always think about that and liken it to Hebrews 6. People are like, why are you listening to secular music? <laughs> Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. So he says, guys, let's get together on a weekly basis or more and let us hold fast to the original confession. Now, the early Christians, when they got saved, they would publicly confess. They would be like, I confess publicly. Jesus is Lord. And not only that, but, you know, Diana or Athena or all these other gods that I used to worship, they are idols and you actually see this throughout history where Muslims would convert to Islam during the Ottoman era and they would stand in the public square and they would say, and I confess that Muhammad is a false prophet. You read these martyrologies, these histories of the martyrs, and like the guy just got saved and then they would say, and he got disemboweled and eviscerated in the public square. You know, but they felt it necessary to make the public confession. They didn't always, but oftentimes they did. Um, sometimes I think that would have been a little easier. <laughs> Just get it done with, day one. But um, he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, and here's the foundation why. Because he who made these promises is faithful. God is faithful, guys. And so we get together on a weekly basis to encourage one another and remind each other that he's faithful and the confession of our hope is real. 
And then it says this, I love this, and let us get together to spur one another on, to stimulate one another to love, to good deeds, not forsaking the gathering together. Do you hear that, live streamers? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> sitting, everywhere, they're sitting in bed with their margaritas watching the sermon. No, I'm just kidding. They're like, that was a good sermon today, Pastor. No, um, coffee, whatever. Don't forsake gathering together. Continue to get together. And then here's the play on words. It's fun. He says, as is the habit of some, but get together and encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day? What is he talking about? The day of the Lord, the return of Jesus. But it is what? The day of gathering. When he returns and we will be gathered together to meet him in the clouds and we go, this is it. It's done. This is the day. And so he goes, as the day of gathering gets closer, gather together deliberately and encourage one another concerning the day of gathering. So there's kind of a play on words there. It's really cool. Because as soon as we leave, the entire system out there is designed to discourage us. The TV, the media, the news, this and that, our circumstances, the whole, it's like the air we breathe is discouraging. I mean, not really, but almost. So we get together and we go, guys, our hope is true. I know it's discouraging out there, but we get together. Let's sing, let's testify, let's tell what God's doing. The day is coming, one day closer, one day closer. You can do it. Endure patiently, endure patiently, be patient. Don't give up. You can do it. We can do this together. You know, it's not you got this, it's we got this. So it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. The Maranatha cry is holiness oriented. 1 John 3, 2 through 3, the Apostle John said that when he appears, we will be like him. Sinless, perfect. We'll no longer desire to compromise or sin or turn back. Because when we see him, we will be just as he is. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself because we know what's coming. We know what our destiny is. We know what kingdom we're part of. And that's why we live out the culture of that kingdom now. We live according now according to what we know we're, we're moving toward. Everyone who has this hope, we purify ourselves. We don't conform to the pattern of this world we conform to the pattern of our destiny and of the kingdom that we're part of titus says something similar chapter 2 11 through 13 he says the grace of god has appeared jesus has come bringing salvation to all men who say yes instructing us but what did he do when he came he instructed us to deny ungodliness worldly desires all of the things that will be burnt up, that will be consumed, that will pass away. Forget those things. He says, live sensibly, soberly, righteously, godly in the present age as we do what? Looking, groaning, yearning. And this is, this is it. It's our blessed hope. The, the, the pinnacle of all Christian longing, yearning, the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's also great commission-oriented. It's not just about us. It's about there's people out there. I've always been someone from the time that I was young, when I find something I love, I like to share it. 
You know, I find good music, I share it. I find good food, I share it. We've got some really good food to share, guys. And there's a lot of hungry people out there. There's people that are starving to death. Matthew 24, verse 14 says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world. If we really yearn for this thing, the Lord says, here's what has to be accomplished first. We go, okay, so there's a finish line ahead. And in order to cross that finish line, this message must be proclaimed in the whole earth. And so it gives us motivation to share our shake and stake, <laughs> the good news that we have with everyone else. And then the end will come. The end of what? The world? No, the end of this wicked, broken, tired, corrupt system. The humanly governors that are governing the world, the, the spiritual governors that are governing the world, the day is coming when the meek will inherit the earth, when Jesus will rule over the nations. And finally, it's our destiny. We, the church needs to recover the Maranatha cry because it is our destiny. And this is what Pastor Chad was talking with the staff about before service, and it's what we sang about. I'm going to actually call um, some of the musicians back up, and I think we'll quietly um, sing that song, and I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Chad to come up as well. At the conclusion of the book of Revelation... At the end of the age, just before the return of Jesus, the Apostle John declared that the Spirit and the Bride, it's not just us, it's God himself in us, are crying out, and anyone else are crying out, come, come Lord Jesus. I love in Romans 8 where Paul the Apostle, he says, all of creation is groaning. It's like, you're kidding me, like half of the church has, has silenced the groan. They've tried to say, like, like silence the groan. Just like, like you're not, like, let me say this. I, uh, sometimes I think I struggle a little bit with depression. But I don't think it's depression. I'm actually a generally pretty happy guy. Some of it is just circumstantial, you know, you're sad because my, my wife's sick and difficulties like that. But generally, I don't think it's depression. I think I'm just sad because of the nature of things. And here's the thing, the church will kind of say like, if you're sad, it's something that, it's like a demon that needs to be cast out or something. And I go, no, Paul the Apostle said, the Spirit himself in us is groaning. God himself is groaning. All of creation is groaning. Like, it's okay to groan and to say, oh, God, it hurts. Come. Like, come already. And so this is the cry of the church. So I'm going to pray. And um, if, uh, yeah, a couple of the musicians are able to or jump out, you wouldn't have to, but then I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Chad. So it's good to be with you all. I'm going to kind of run just after this because I'm going to go to... Uh, over to Little Chapel for the, the next service. But Father, we thank you, first of all, that you called us, that you have chosen us among all the billions of the peoples throughout the earth. You looked down, you had mercy on us, you opened our eyes, you revealed yourself to us, you made us your children, your sons and daughters. We thank you for family, we thank you for church community, we thank you for the spirit 
that you've given us that dwells inside of us. And now, Lord, we ask that you would help us to say yes, help us to recover that Maranatha cry, that plumb line, that standard that the righteous have been defined by throughout history, crying out and groaning for the restoration of all things, the restoration of Eden. We ask that this house would be a house where the Maranatha cry would rise up loudly and it would extend over this whole region, that the principalities would be shaken as the body of Christ cries out, Come, Lord Jesus, arise, O God, let your enemies be scattered. We thank you for the beauty of all that you are, and we say yes, we long for that day when we will indeed see you in our glorified, resurrected bodies. We'll not just sing about you, we will sing to you and with you. We thank you for these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.